Welcome to Talk With Me. This is Marcia Epstein, and I am sitting in Lawrence, Kansas, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's the middle of January, and outside it's beautiful. The sky is lovely. The ground's a little mushy because we had a little bit of rain, snow, ice. Here, actually, it was mostly rain. So it's a little messy, especially for people like me that have a dog and dog prints everywhere. But hey, it's good. I'm focusing on the good. It's also inauguration. I'm focusing on the good. I'm focusing on my dog, the blue sky, those kinds of things. And things I can do every day that maybe make a difference and hopefully make a difference, you know? I encourage that for everybody. So I want to get right to my guest. My guest today is one of the many people who will part, be part of the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown which will be based primarily at Prospero's Books in Kansas City, Missouri, on the weekend of April 21st through 23rd. Hope you know that April is Poetry Month. This gives you some advance notice because there, there's always encouragement uh, that a certain day is designated as Poem in Your Pocket Day. So you can choose a favorite poem in advance, have that with you, share that with people on that day. Of course, you can share it other days as well. I still have the same poet in, excuse me, poem in in a, a pocket of the, the verse that I carry a lot. And it's the one that's been there for this point about a year and a half because it's one of my absolute favorite poems that's by a Topeka poet, Annette Billings, who's one of my favorites. Anyway, poetry's good stuff. Um, Poetry and other kinds of art really do bring people together, and we need that more than ever. Yes, we do. We need to understand and empathize with other people's experiences, and sometimes art helps us do that, sometimes even when we weren't expecting it. Sometimes art entertains us, and we need that too, because that's part of the fuel for being able to do goodness in the world. So today, I am very happy to be having as my guest, as I mentioned, somebody who will be at the Kansas City Poetry Throwdown, who has a couple of roles related to poetry that are very prominent. One is that he is a poet. One is that he's also a publisher. And so I want to welcome my guest, M. Scott Douglas. Hey, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm fine. It's just as nice here as it is there. Actually, it's probably nicer. I'm going to be riding a motorcycle this afternoon. Ah, lovely, lovely, lovely. So tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, I spent 20 years as a dental technician before I got tired of dentists and decided I needed to do something else. So uh, I've done a lot of different things uh, over my life, but uh, that was what I spent the most time at. And uh, my wife told me that uh, I used to come home with bad stories. And she said, if you don't find something else to do with your life, you're going to have to find something else, someplace else to live. Oh, wow. So so I'd been getting published for about, uh, I don't know, since I was 14. Oh, and uh, it, this was, you know, this was where I wanted to go. So I went mm -hmm. back for an education and learned how to do graphic arts. And uh, I'm a control freak. I wanted to be able to control the product. So, uh, so we bought all the equipment and uh, and we make books here. So you do the art as well as do poetry of your own. 
Well, I'm kind of a meat and potatoes art guy. I'm, I'm I am a graphic artist, but I'm a an image manipulator. I'm not. Uh, mm-hmm. I have friends who are wonderful painters, and I have uh, had students when I, I taught graphic arts for a while too. I've had students who could sit down with uh, uh, with a program with a computer and come out with beautiful art. I'm not that kind of artist. I can manipulate, and I I am. I call myself a book mechanic. <laughs> I put it. I put it together. Uh-huh. All right. And do people submit um, works for consideration for Main Street Rag Publishing, or do you mostly keep your eye open and reach out to people? But it works a lot of different ways. I mean, we started out with a literary magazine, and the literary magazine, you know, you you, you submit work through. Uh, right now it's through email, but it'll probably be through submittable by the middle of next month. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we, we have the magazine aspect of what we did and what we do. And we did that for six years before we bought the equipment and started doing books. As far as the books go, uh, we bought that because I didn't like the way anybody was uh, doing our magazine. And I, again, mm-hmm. control freak, I wanted to have control of the product. And when uh-huh. you buy $100,000 worth of equipment, a little literary magazine just does not feed the beast. So I had to find other ways to pay for it. We uh, solicited other publishers. So we do work for other publishers and, and then we, we do our own, uh, our own books. Uh, the way we choose our books, it varies. We have contests. Uh, I solicit for some people, people send me manuscripts. We have a, a page on our website that uh, explains how we do that. Mm-hmm. Is your what kind of things do you publish in terms of the things that are that are your choice, not not things you do with other people? Well, we're the most prolific publisher of poetry in the state of North Carolina. We put out about uh, sixty titles uh, on our own label, not counting what we do for other poetry publishers. Uh, we also do uh, we we don't do well with novels. We're very small, and and novels require a kind of marketing that a small press doesn't always have unless they're affiliated with the university. Um, so we do, but we do anthologies. Anthologies is our is like our our. Uh, a niche that we're really doing well with because a lot of the people that are in our uh, anthologies are in the universities or university instructors. So, and they're, they're, they're so much, uh, uh, <laughs> this isn't the proper term, nepotism going on. So if one teacher is in this book, a teacher at another university may use that book in her class and then vice versa, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they, they swap out so that uh, if you if you create anthologies, you create uh, opportunities for sales at the university level. Mm-hmm. So anthologies of poetry? No, there's uh, short okay. fiction. We do we do uh, uh, we there there's short fiction, there are poetry, they're mostly a, a mix because uh, one of the things I have discovered as a publisher is that poets tend, you know, they, they always talk about poets and how poor they are, and they are. But they are the most supportive when it comes down to buying. <laughs> uh-huh. when, when you, uh, it just seems like fiction writers say, "Oh, you published my story, you published my my novel. Okay, just throw it out on the shelf and let's see what happens." And it, it, you, when you're a small press, it just does not work that way. Yeah. You have to be proactive, and poets tend to be a little bit more proactive than than fiction and nonfiction writers. So you, that's why we started out just doing fiction, and, and they didn't sell as well as the ones that where we mixed in poetry. Mm-hmm. So the anthologies have both. And, and like I said, we do novels. We tried doing novellas, which are the, the shorter version of, of mm-hmm. novels, and uh, 
those are kind of hit and miss. We've written, we've published a few that are just absolutely fantastic. And some of them actually sold, <laughs> but yeah. for the most part, it's a it's a tough market because being where we are, what we are, and and the way that we produce books, a lot of books are being produced POD, mm-hmm. print on demand, and and I I like higher quality covers, you know, control freak, and so <laughs> so you know we we have to, to in order to to have those higher quality covers you have to produce a certain number of books and that doesn't work in a pod model mm-hmm. it makes our books a little bit more expensive and that kind of interferes with trying to sell a 100 page you know short story which is what a novella basically is mm-hmm. you have a price point that you can't meet in the marketplace mm-hmm. The challenges, and and I know that overall it's a challenge for print media, which is interesting to me because I like my print media. <laughs> I like picking up the New York Times in on paper and reading articles that I wouldn't notice online. You know, that just I happen to see. I like books, particularly books from small presses and from writers who I've had the opportunity to meet. You know, I'd like to have the book and be able to look carefully at the words as opposed to what happens with them reading something on a computer screen, for example. You know, I, well, I really we, that's, that's what we invested that way because I'm mm-hmm. counting on the fact that they're all, it's a generational thing. I think once the uh, 20-somethings sit in front of a monitor for another 10, 15 years, uh, their eyes are going to be shot from, from, <laughs> from looking on <laughs> the monitor. But the other thing, too, is that Poets in general are are more tactile in in, in terms of uh, uh, you you'll find that poets, although they may like to appear on the monitor, although they may like to be on the stage and perform their work, they want that physical thing in their hand. There's no such thing as a coffee table ebook. Yeah, and it's interesting when you say that in terms of that that book that tactile thing in your hand because to me. There's a difference between seeing a person who is reading their own work on an iPhone, for example, <laughs> versus they are holding their book and I see the cover of their book and they turn the pages, you know, and it's it's a different, even as an audience, it's a different thing seeing a book handled versus that little technology. <laughs> well, and you know, and the funny thing about that is, you know, it's like I, I used to have a little workshop that I would do for authors where they would come in here and we would go through, you know, presentation and, you know, it was called uh-huh. uh, uh, selling your work by selling yourself. Because when you get up in front of an audience, y- y- what you need to do, if you want to sell a book, you need to present it in a certain way. And when uh, the people who get up there and read from uh, an iPad or, or from a notebook or from a phone, what they don't realize is that they're, they're not selling a product anymore. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, you know, people, it, it, the people who are listening may enjoy, and and of course the other thing too. When I go to Kansas City, this is one of the things that amazes me. You have so many people there who are spoken word, and they're not just spoken word; they are good spoken word. They are fantastic performances and and good poetry. 
coach me on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not always a good mix. Sometimes you get people who can really perform, but they can't write. Mm-hmm. And then you get some people who write and they can't present their work. And mm-hmm. I did these workshops to try and, and teach people who are pre- predominantly paper driven mm-hmm. how to get in front of an audience and sell their work. And then I come to Kansas City and, they, you know, I, I, I watch... Uh, uh, some of these uh, people get up there and, at the open mic and they just blow people out of the water. They're amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're really lucky in this area to have people who are amazing poets, performers. And Kansas City has such a great scene, the spoken word part that, that I think really, to me, I, I think about Uptown Arts Bar and Prospero's books and that there's such a nurturing of, you know, these opportunities and, and Poets who are not only talented, I think about, you know, Jen Harris and Jeanette Powers and lots of people in Kansas City, Jose Faust, they're just these amazing people. And and they also are all about helping other poets, bringing other people up. You know, there's it's it's not a bunch of me, me, me. It's a bunch of people who are really part of a community. And that's only a part of the poetry scene in Kansas City. You know, and I look at, you know, Lawrence and Topeka and, and other places around here, it's the same kind of thing that there are some people who are more tied to the universities um, and, and there are some people who really are wonderful page poets, but aren't people who are going to be at a mic. And then there are people like in Lawrence, we're so lucky. We have three people, the current poet laureate of Kansas, um, Eric McHenry, who lives in Lawrence and two former poets laureate of Kansas, Karen Marion Goldberg and Denise Lowe. And all three of them are very present in these, you know, mixed kinds of presentations as well as things that you might think of as what a poet laureate should be doing, you know. Um, it's it's wonderful to see people together, you know, and, and different kinds of poets, different kinds of poetry. It's It's lovely. And it's not something that, I had even really known about until a few years ago. And and so I, I always encourage people, it's not too late to try new things, to have new experiences in your community, you know, and, and you may be surprised. My my world, most of my adult life has been uh, nonprofit and social work and suicide prevention in particular. And then when I began uh, working outside of nonprofit, working nonprofit, but working on my own. Then I had this opportunity for this radio show and and it brought me to to amongst other things, poets. And like these are amazing people and other writers, you know. People who wanna who wanna create and also share, whether it's in print or at a mic or both, those are special people and, and I love that. It's it's really an honor to get to know people. Oh yeah, you know I've been pro- I've been uh, I've been uh, working in the uh, uh, promotion, promoting poetry, sponsoring readings in the uh, Charlotte area since uh, 1990, I think, and uh, it's amazing that well, you get a networking going on too, uh-huh. and, and that's an amazing thing. You get to uh, you know you get to meet people, you get to you get to watch people develop too, and, that, yeah. that, and they help. And they help you develop too. I, I, you know, I like to look back at the the stuff I was writing in 1990, for instance, and say, "Boy, I don't want people to see that." Yeah, and that's okay. And I and I love that. You know, I'm sure there are poets that have your influence. I I 
I had the opportunity, and I think, gosh, it was more than a year ago, to do a show with Joel Gaynor, who's in Northern California, and then just uh, a month or so ago to do a show with Todd Cirillo, who's a poet in New Orleans. And and Todd had spent some time living in Northern California and was friends and, and mentored by Joel Gaynor. It's like, well, how cool is that? It's kind of like two generations. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it's very cool. So... I know that we want to also hear some of your poetry, not just talk about your publishing. And so I, I know this is kind of abrupt, but I would I would love to, to have you share something now, if you're willing. Oh, sure. Um, I spent uh, a lot of the last two summers on the road on the motorcycle, uh, and I put a collection together that are I'm, I'm referring to as motorcycle poems, but they're basically travel poems. And I've got a couple short ones here. This one's uh, called When You Think of Hannibal, Missouri. When you think of Hannibal, Missouri, you think of Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, life on a river. Reality sometimes muddies the waters of boyhood misconceptions. Tom and Huck knew that. You discover it anew on your way through. You wanted to stay here, but recognized right away this remake of a B-Western. Some of the props have been updated, but a cowboy is a cowboy is a cowboy, and you've seen their brand of folk before. You may have traded buckboards for mudrunners, spurs for steel toes, but the plot remains the same. Wild boys come out to play when the sun goes down. Tonight, they're racing mudder trucks with four-foot tires and short exhaust down Main Street, revving engines, popping clutches, lurching at streetlights, country music and smudged ball caps all around. At one stoplight, a pack of ATVs comes out of nowhere, flies across the intersection, the rear rider's front wheels raised high above the road like a rearing bronco. You wonder how he steers that thing, but you don't want to be wherever he's going. No Sam Clemens would have written this story different. If he was dealt this hand, he might have played it out just to watch the drama unfold. But you've seen this scene before and know a losing hand when you hold it. So you fold and hope a better one is dealt to you up the road across the river. Lovely. And it's it's particularly interesting to me because this summer uh, we took a little road trip that included... Dan and Hannibal, and and being very pleasantly um, surprised by beautiful buildings within that community because the community basically had no reason to tear things down because unfortunately the community didn't do so well. But but the the kitsch of the <laughs> of the like Becky Thatcher's house is like no, <laughs> it's really. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was, it, you know, a lot of times it's it's when you hit a place, uh, uh, that was the tail end of a, of a trip that started in Bowling Green at 8 o'clock that morning. I got caught in St. Louis traffic, and it was about 7 or 8 o'clock by the time I hit Hannibal. So I'd been on the road 12 hours already. And there's a whole other poem that comes after that. I had to split this into a, several poems because... When I got into Iowa, 
there was no place to stay in Iowa. And I, and I stopped at a little town called Pleasantville and you know, that you get off the exit ramp and there's a sign that says Pleasantville. And then right underneath it is a Tumwa. And I'm thinking I'm going to mash, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> uh this is, <laughs> but you know, and I pulled off there and there was no room. There's five hotels. They're all clustered right there in Pleasantville on, on this mm-hmm. route. And I pulled over. There's not a room available. There's a guy on the front lawn with a grill flipping burgers with a two liter bottle of Pepsi in his hand. And I'm thinking, this is, this is just surreal. Yeah. And I get in and I said, so what, what's going on? Why, why no rooms in Mount Pleasant? And she says, oh, hon, there's a big tractor pull tomorrow. <laughs> you know, <they're, laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> if I, if it was surreal on the way in hearing that just said, you know, it's like, really? The, all the hotel rooms have sold out for a tractor pull. That was amazing. <laughs> So I had to ride. I had to drive all the way. Uh, I had to ride all the way up to Iowa City, and uh, to to get a room. That was the closest room available. Was another hour and a half down the road. <laughs> so I'd been on the motorcycle about uh, fourteen hours by the time I uh, I unpacked. <laughs> yeah, long ride. Yeah, that's interesting. What a what a blast. Did you do this ride alone, or did you have a riding buddy? Uh, I did it alone. I do most of my riding alone. I have a, uh, a friend around here I ride with, uh, and and I've ride, I've ridden with a few people, you know, here and there. But mostly I ride. Well, you got to have a strong butt if you're going to ride <laughs> all the way. You know, I, I've seen these people. I've seen these people put their their motorcycles on a trailer and they'll take it for like ten hours, and then uh, forty five minutes from wherever they're going, they'll take it off the trailer and they'll ride in. Uh, no, I, I did. I did about. Uh, I've got twenty thousand miles I put on my butt in the last two two years, and and it was long rides. It was to Kansas City and back. It was to um, Iowa and back. It was to Chicago and back. Uh, and and each time you go, there's there's new adventures that go along with it. So uh, mm-hmm. it gives me it, it, going alone gives me an opportunity to meet people, to encounter people, just mm-hmm. you know, meet with them. And and it gives me something to write about. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And and I love what you said of you know that you got to have a strong butt. And it totally resonated with something. I have two friends um, that I got to know because they did this cross country journey um, bicycling. But they one of them biked, one of them had a truck, so they were they had their own support vehicle in that sense. So they were alternating which they were doing. And they were biking to raise awareness of, in a lot of ways about the healing power of art for um, suicide prevention and suicide bereavement. They both had lost brothers to suicide. Anyway, Zach, Zach had this, this interview, uh, one of the newspaper articles about them and their trip. And there was some line about how grief is kind of like that how when you're biking a long distance, your butt gets really sore and then you kind of get used to it. And then you go over a bump and it hurts more. (laughs) You know, it's like, so the butt issue is about grief too. (laughs) Well, you know, I'll tell you something. I I actually bicycle also. Uh And I bicycle because, you you know, like I said, you have to, I said you have to have a hard butt, but really what you have to have is stamina Uh if you're going to ride that many. And and I, I got my, a lot of my stamina from riding bicycles. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that's where that's where it all got started. I mean, we didn't have motorcycles to start with. We had bicycles. Uh-huh. And that's where I started, too. I mean, I I was riding 70 to 100 miles a week. You know, and that that's that was my average last year. Uh huh. OK, so that's a recent thing, too. Biking no, no, not really. Current. I've been bicycling since I was young. Right. I didn't mean that it was new, but I mean, it's, it's a current is what I should have said. Not recent that, that bicycling and motorcycling are both parts of, of your life. Oh, yeah. 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 Interesting. I don't think I could do the one without the other. Oh, I mean, interesting. you know, I, I, well, I mean, I could ride I could ride around the block and, I, you know, I could I can go and put, you know, 50 miles on just for, you know, uh, uh, I know a lot of people who just do a little Sunday drive or uh-huh. a Sunday ride and and. uh um, I got to, I got to have some place to go. Uh-huh. And, and that generally in, entails destination means you're going to be on the road a while. So you better be prepared. Mm-hmm. And every time I get on the road, I hit the rain, which was uh. the next poem I was going to read, by the oh. way. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear it. This is a little short one. It's, it's, uh, uh um, it's called rain. It changes everything. Dust and pollen coalesce to a slimy, to a slick slurry. Dry leaves transform to slimy salad. It's nature's way of cleansing these ugly gray ribbons that slice across her body. Her means of sanitizing everything, including you. Watch the sky for warning signs. Approach each bend as if gyroscopic force that fragile cosmic law, that friend you must rely upon to spring you upright in leaner curves, as if it has deserted you, left behind a souvenir, a jilted lover whose toxic tears saturate your every destination, unforgettable as a woman, inescapable as road hazard. That's great, and and I, I I think about oh my god, and and it's dangerous, <laughs> and your butt's wet, and everything's wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I had I had a particularly bad stretch between Chicago and Lafayette last year, and and uh, yeah, got a lot of mileage out of that writing wise. Yeah, so. yeah. Because those those surfaces, those leaves, not only are they a slimy salad, they're slippery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how long have you been doing the long trips? The long trips, um, I really started doing about three years ago. I spent 30 years riding a har- uh, riding a, a Yamaha, and I tried a Harley, and Harleys are a lot nicer on your butt. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, – <laughs> so riding longer distances was a, was a little easier. Uh, uh, you know, before that, the longest trip I'd taken was from Erie, Pennsylvania to uh, – the Jersey shore. And, uh, and that was, that was a beautiful ride, but that was the only real long ride I'd done. And that was 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, most of my other stuff was, was just local stuff. And, and, you know, I was taking opportunities. I was being in, invited to, uh, you know, the, the Iowa ride was for the North American review, um, um, conference. The, uh, Kansas city ride was to come out there and, uh, mix with my friends out there and uh, give them a little lessons on how to design books. Nice. Uh, so, you know, that it, every ride had a purpose and it uh-huh. was just, you know, I'd have an opportunity to take a ride and write it off my taxes. 
because you know publishers and poets got to eat too so you got to figure out those finances that's true it's it's there's that business part too yeah that's a good reminder yeah yeah interesting so so you should contact harley and see if they can use you in, in some paid advertisement about how great their bikes are for your butt <laughs> You know the thing is, I don't really have a uh, you know I don't have one of those big full dress things that uh, that you see you know that are really designed for highway riding. I have a, uh, a Heritage Softail Classic, and it's uh, it's a nice bike. I, I love this bike, uh, you know, but uh, uh, it's not necessarily you know it doesn't have the hard cases and and all that you know luggage stuff to carry stuff with you. So when when you go, you know, I'm I'm carrying you know suitcases in the passenger seat you know oh. not not a suitcase but you know a a a, a wet bag so. <laughs> sounds like a blast a wild adventure and and as you said i'm sure it gives you lots to write about well it does yeah. and that's one of the reasons why i'm i you know it summertime is my slowest time of year in terms of book production because a lot of you know a lot of publishing is you know you 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 pile it up in the fall and then you pile it up again in the spring and in the summertime it's usually the time when i would design books well i can design books out of uh you know i can design books you know 3 days a week and spend the other four on the highway you know or 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 visiting or for that matter the real thing I want to do more of is my own concentrating more on my own writing. So I'm going to be doing more conferences where I'm not on the panel. I am one of the writers who's there to learn something. One of the, you know, a, a participant from a writer standpoint, not the, uh, the publisher standpoint. Mm -hmm. Nice. Great. Hey, we need to take a little break here and hear from some of the businesses that sponsor Lawrence and I get to thank Daniel Smith, who does the production of the show. Pretty important stuff so people can hear us. So thank you, Daniel. And I want to thank Scott Douglas, who is my guest. And we will be right back with more Talk With Me with Scott. Thanks. Welcome back to, to uh, Scott Douglas and Marsha Epstein. Here we are on Talk With Me. And one of the things you said right before the break was that you're you have this plan of, of really being able to do some more conferences where you're really there as a person to learn, you know, as a as a writer in the audience that you won't be necessarily on the panel, but really to learn. And and I wanted to highlight that because one of the things that is so important is that we all can continue learning, you know, learn from each other and that if we want people to pay attention to what we have to say, whether it's on the page or in person, then we need to be good at paying attention to what other people have to say as well. And so, so I love that you said that. Here you are. You've been writing forever. You said, you know, published since you were 14 years old, I think you said, you know, yeah. and you're publishing other people's works as well. And, and you're also saying, and it's important for me to keep learning and I'm going to spend some dedicated time doing that. I, I think that's, well, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of in a unique situation too because aside from you know okay we just kind of Main Street rags sprang up real quick mm -hmm. um, and you know we we had money to invest because I had a job and we were doing it part time and and so I was able to to dive into this and then it just kind of you know uh, 
rose out of that. It got bigger as we went along. And what happened was people started viewing me as publisher, editor. And, you know, when you start involving yourself in other people's work um, and being the publisher, they kind of put you at an arm's length there. Uh, there are a lot of uh, a lot of my friends belong to writers groups. And I'm not welcome. <laughs> because, well, it's not that I'm, you know, it's not that I'm not welcome. It's a, that's poor terminology, but, uh, but I'm, I'm the other guy. I'm the guy who's going to be publishing at the end of the rainbow there. So they don't want me seeing their work until they feel it's ready. And if I'm part <laughs> of their writer's group, I can't do that. So I, you know, I have one other guy I rely on to give me feedback. And that's really, that's one of the reasons why when I go and if I can go to a workshop, if I can go to a, uh, a retreat, if I can go to a, uh, a, a festival uh, like a, a Mountain Heritage Festival in Tennessee, you go there and you get to, you know, see other poets, other writers and how they do things. And, and, and it helps hone your skills. Um, so, yeah, but I hadn't had time to do that. I mean, I've, I work weekends a lot of times because, you know, we, we, we have this publishing house that puts out, you know, a uh, hundred to 200 books a year between wow. mainstream. Well, that's between mainstream rag books and, and the books we do produce for other publishers. And I'm the only person here. I'm the guy who designs them. I'm the guy who prints them. I'm the guy who binds them. I'm the guy who, who, who trims them. I have somebody who comes in part time and, and does the shipping but for the most part. Mm-hmm. I do almost everything. Mm-hmm. So getting time for me to do this has not been easy. And my my wife is like, I'll give you money. Go away for <laughs> money. <laughs> I'll pay you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I never, <laughs> I never, I never, quite, I never quite looked at it that way. But now that you say it that way, I, I think I may have to re-examine this. <laughs> I love it. Hey, and you know, as you're talking about your work, I I have to ask you: Have you met Robert Hansen, who does poems for all? Um, I'm really bad with names, but I don't think so. Poems for all are these little teeny, like literally. Okay, I've got I've got them always in front of me. They are about mm, two inch by two inch. That may be right. That may be that. They may not even be that big. Um, these these lovely little publications that Richard does um, and invites publication. I mean, invites um, submission. Anybody can contact him. There's a poems for all website. But but the reason I'm thinking that you need to meet him, you know, connect with him, is that he also is the do it all guy. He got this idea. What I remember him telling me is that. He worked in some kind of business where there was some kind of printing going on and there were all these um, leftover parts of pages right. of, of right. that indexy kind of you know heavier stuff. And so he started making these little books and he was doing the designing of the covers, you know, and, and finding poets. And then it's really expanded. I, there are thousands of, of poems that he's published and poets published in this way and he does uh, almost always the the cover design is his he does the layout he assembles them and and it's a it's for him this labor of love so that when i asked you know i, I do this thing on september 10th which is world suicide prevention day 
do this event called Word Save Lives with poets and um, comics and storytellers and musicians. Um, and it's and I said, you know, I'd love to have some poems, poems for all to be able to give to people who are in the audience. And, you know, how much, you know, can I, do I send, you know, how much do I pay to get, you know, a, you know, a couple hundred uh, of these little books? And he's like, donate your money where it will be helpful. I will send you the poetry. And that's what he does. And, but, well, that's, but that's great. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to give away free books. What I'm saying is that he is also a designer, writer, you know, screener of publication kind of, you know, of submissions and a wonderful, delightful person just like you are. I'm not sure he's a motorcycle guy, but, um, but you, you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll do a little email thing because I think that, that there's something that needs to happen. I know last year for the throwdown, he sent Jameson a bunch of poems for all to be distributed there. And that was actually how I first learned about them. Anyway, hey, we were talking about how you do all the things and Robert Hansen does all the things. And so hopefully you'll talk, even though you don't probably have motorcycles in common, but you have travel in common. Yeah. He's, he's done some great travels. So, well, there's a lot of people that are doing those little booklet things. Uh, uh, Lily put review, um, that's been around for years out of Pittsburgh. And John Wentworth, that's Lily put, right? And he's right. going to be at the Throwdown too, I believe. Right, and and you know he's been doing that, uh, boy, I got to say, over twenty years. Uh-huh. Uh, I can never get anything into that magazine, though. I just I'm just too way too long winded. <laughs> well, sometimes that's what it needs to be. Sometimes sometimes it takes more words. He's very Don is is a master of short poetry and and lovely lovely poetry. So yeah. I believe I've published Don a few times over the years. So, yeah, I'm familiar with his work. Yeah. So I wonder if you would like to share another one of your poems. I want to make sure we remind people you are a poet, not just a publisher. <laughs> well, thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah, I got another one here. Um, cool. This is called First Impressions. North Carolina and Virginia sneak by in morning dark. You're barely awake when West Virginia gives way to Southern Ohio, where fragile farmland beside the highway is brittle brown and whistles in the wind. The elevator at the Best Western in Indiana smells like old mop. Your room smells like antiseptic. You smell like the road residue that sticks to your skin where you lathered on sunscreen. Your pants walk themselves to a corner, collapse exhausted in a heap. Tomorrow they will crawl back up your calves and thighs and cinch themselves to the girth of your time. Then spend the day gathering grime anew. Near Gary, you pass a white Camry with patches of gray primer where paint has chipped away and notice a bumper sticker stuck to its trunk. Drive now. Text later. As it drifts into your lane, the driver talking on a smartphone and eating an egg McMuffin. It's the only time you remember being thankful for toll roads. Wisconsin is golden rust and mud. Its growth season bogged down in the afterbirth of bailed harvest. At a bar in Minneapolis, a man in a golf shirt 
at a table of golf shirts, calls you over as you walk toward the door, asks if you know where to find any strip clubs. You smile, wave a hand, shake your head and exit, wondering if something about the way you look convinced him you would know. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That, yeah, yeah you, you always have to. You always, I always wondered about that. You know, it's uh -huh. like what, I, what? What was I wearing? What? What did I do that made you think that I would know? Yes, yes, yes. And I have to share a story from a friend who, she is a musician. She is also a health educator. Um, her her work is in breast cancer prevention, and and her she takes walks away from her office, which is close to a neighborhood. You know, as as part sort of taking a break, clearing her head, just part of her daily routine. And she said one day she's taking, she's walking and this guy kind of approaches her and he says, you know, you, you look like the kind of person who would know this. And so she's not sure, you know, kind of what's going on with him, what he needs, but, but he approached her in an earnest way. So she didn't feel creeped out or anything. And so she's like, well, you know, what, what is it that you need? And, and he says, well, I'm wondering where to buy clown shoes. <laughs> He set her up nice, I'll tell you, you know. Yeah. And that same question, like, what about me? <laughs> Made him think I would have the answer to this question. <laughs> well, you got to figure anybody who's going to walk around wearing clown shoes is probably a comedian of some type. You said your son is a stand-up. You know, that would be the kind of thing a stand-up guy would walk up to the mic in, you know. So, he, he, you know, he probably has a has a humor already uh, that he's, you know, fig figuring to j dump on somebody uh, that he finds on the street. Yeah, uh, maybe that's it. Yeah, that is his practice. <laughs> that's a good idea. But it, it does raise that question of how do people choose to tell us and ask us the things that they do? And sometimes it's it's beautiful and wonderful. I'm sure you have some great experiences. As you said, you travel alone, which means you, you do connect with people in different places where you get to stop. You know, that, that yeah. There's, well, I'm sometimes, sure. you know, there, there's also that there's also that aura that if you are traveling alone, that, you know, you, you, you know, and you're on a motorcycle. You know, well, think about this. You, you see a motorcycle guy, a motorcyclist riding by, even biker, if you want to call him that, uh, because he's going by. Do you ever see him smiling? <laughs> think about it. You know, it, it's like all, uh, you, you know, we, we all have this like gruff look on our face, like we're ready to bite somebody's head off. So <laughs> you, you, you almost have to be in a situation where people aren't afraid to like walk up to you. Uh -huh. uh, and, and, and sometimes, you know, they are. I mean, it's just it's just a matter of appearances, you know. It's not it's not anything else other than that. Well, it it also might have to do with odor, as you pointed out in one of your poems. <laughs> you know, we're doing this interview over the phone, so I don't know where you're coming from with that. You know. It's <laughs> uh, delightful. It's delightful, but it certainly gives lots lots to to uh, write about because I'm I'm imagining like. I pay a lot of attention to the things around me. Like I, I like to look at the shapes of the different leaves and colors and the sky and, you know, and 
obviously on the motorcycle, you you get that need, as you, you pointed out in that poem, the, the person who's texting and eating and driving who could kill you if you're not paying a lot of attention to the erratic motion of that vehicle, you know, that, that you've got to be really focused on what you're doing, which, which is, which is, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. you do. And, yeah. and in other terms, you know, in other worlds, we call that mindfulness, you know, really paying attention to what's going on right now is what keeps you alive on those trips. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I've, uh, over the years, I think I've learned too, that, uh, you know, just from doing this, that uh, I think motorcycle riders are better car drivers too, because you get into that habit of you, you know you have to check your mirrors. Okay. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not fixing my hair when right. I'm checking my mirror. I'm seeing who's coming up behind me, or yeah. you know, I'm using it for what it was designed for yeah. uh, to stay alive, really. Yeah. Uh, and and I think there are there are life lessons in that you know really paying attention to what's going on around us to doing some things that are just a blast you know just doing things that you enjoy i'm sure you enjoy riding or you wouldn't be doing it right. but also that that paying attention thing which which also allows some other things to drop off you know it's like sometimes we need a break from some of the things that are swirling around in our heads and hearts well, and, and, you know, you think about the way, you know, people, they say, write what you know. And, mm-hmm. and when you go to a reading or you, you pick up a book, you're, you know, a poetry book, you're basically reading what this poet's experience is. And um, when I'm out on the road, whether, you know, whether it's the visual aspect of it, whether it's the interaction with people, um, yeah, I love what I do, but I also have you know, the, the hardship of writing, I was reading a poem up there. It was about, it was about, I read the rain rain poem, but there are more intricate stories of of being caught in the rain, uh, in in this collection. And, um, I was reading one of those and, and, and a woman said to me, that's a wonderful poem, but if, if you have all that going on, why don't you just get in a car? You know, it's like, well, uh, oh. it, because I wouldn't have anything to write about. <laughs> I mean, this poem would not exist without that, without that, yeah. that you know, that experience. What a what an interesting response. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm just thinking about your safety, man. <laughs> now listen to the poem. <laughs> Well, uh, well, you know, the other thing too is we're we're, we're talking age too. Uh, the woman, I, I'm I'm 61, and and the woman who who uh, mentioned that is probably 10 years older than me. You know, so there are you know at 61, I got to look at this and say, how much longer am I going to be able to make these kind of trips? Uh-huh. And at 70, at 70 or whatever this this woman uh, is, uh, she's got to be saying, "Are you nuts?" You know, 70 years old, I'm not going to do that. No, but uh, I don't know. Who knows how much longer you're going to do it. So, you know, now this is the time for me to do it. And and who knows? I mean, in terms of her experiences, I mean, and that's one of the things that that I find interesting and delightful is that, you know, we don't know. We don't know what people's experiences are. And sometimes they're very different than we might assume. Her, Her comment about the car could be because she thinks of, you know, it would not be safe for her, and so she doesn't want you to take the risk of being on this motorcycle with all these conditions. It also might be that, you know, as a teenager, the love of her life died in a motorcycle accident. 
Yeah, I get I get a lot of that. I get a lot of that every time. You know, it's like my 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 mother doesn't. You know, it's like for years. I just uh, I think uh, on my last motorcycle I bought the day I bought it. I was you know, or the week after I bought it, I was at the Harley Museum in uh, um, Milwaukee, and uh, and she called me on my cell phone and I said uh, I told her where I was and I said and she says, Oh, Scotty, you know how I hate motorcycles. <laughs> Promise me you'll never buy another one. And I'm like, well, I just bought one two weeks ago. I'm probably never going to do that. But I didn't want her to tell her because, you know, she'd just get her upset. So I said, I promise, Mom. <laughs> That's great. And then she got on my Facebook page and found out I have one anyway. So, <laughs> so you, the poems that you've shared, and obviously a lot of our conversation is about your motorcycle travels. Is did you say that the that the collection of poetry that you are hoping to get published soon is is the sat from motorcycle travels that that's the inspiration? Um, yeah, there's two sections to it. I have uh, mm-hmm. I actually have four versions of this collection. I have uh, you know the two long versions and then two chapbook versions, and I had to enter them in different lengths for different contests. Mm-hmm. Uh, the full length one, the main full length one, is it, already. Uh, if if I don't win a contest, which is likely, I have another publisher who has said he will publish it. So, you know, uh, uh, it's split in half. The first half, you mentioned, we meant, talked about bicycling, too. There are some poems in the first half that are about bicycling. They're a little closer to home. They're images of just being on the road, traveling, um, not alone in that sense. And then the, the second section, the, the, the mostly motorcycle poems, is the is the long road section, the long ride section. I'm sorry, and 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 it's it's longer poems, and they're predominantly poetry uh, poetry about motorcycles. Yeah, motorcycle mm-hmm. riding. So you have a backup plan. You have a publisher who's interested, but you're also kind of considering it coming out in pieces related to contests. Well, well, yeah. Well, see, here's here's the thing. It's it's like I said. I'm I'm, I'm thought of. More as a publisher than a, than than my my writing skills, and and I you know I've, I've won a few contests along the way. I've you know I've been published in a few places. Uh, some of these poems that I've been reading, I mean, uh, North American Review took uh, the the Hannibal poem. Uh, I mean, these are, Midwest Review has taken poems. I've gotten out of this collection. I've gotten some really good magazines to take them. Um, I'd like to you know. Um, I'd like to get the publisher, you know, in the background and the poet in the foreground. And I think winning a contest puts you in a position, a better position for that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that way, you know, uh, 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 people will think of me more one way than the other. And, uh-huh. and, you, and, you know, poets don't make any money, but where you make your money is when you do conferences, they're not going to, they're not going to invite me to a conference as, as a publisher, you, you burn out your publisher, uh, 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 after a while. And then, you know, so I want to get to that point where I can present my own work. Yeah. And, and there are different ways that happens. I, I, there's a little story from, from John Namrus, who's a poet in New York, whose uh, a lot of his books are through Epic Rights Press. And Epic Rights Press is, uh, done by Wolfgang Carstens, who's an amazing poet and publisher. So you two have something in common, but he's way up in uh, near Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And I don't know that you'll 
literally cross paths anytime soon. But um, anyway, John talked about how when he was first trying to get stuff published, you know, the question always was, you know, where have you been published? You know, and and it was quite a dilemma that that you know how do you how do you get started in this? And and he has this little story about being with a friend and they're taking a walk and they get to this intersection and I cannot remember the name. So I can't tell the story, of course, as he can. But whatever the street name was when they got to this intersection, his friend christened him the winner of the famous poetry prize <laughs> of that name. So, so John now has a poetry prize in his, uh, you know, on his resume and actually said, you know, so he submits a poem and, you know, that he's recently won this prize and this little publisher says, oh, yes, we've heard about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh... <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> well, we, we want to, we want to, uh, we want it to the Associated Writers uh conference uh writers and, and publishers conference uh, conferences uh we last year in in uh, um oh god where were we california we won a an award called the wheat stock award and i'd never heard of it but you know a bunch of people somebody came up to me and handed me this little card and it was really nicely folded in this gold you know handmade envelope and i opened it and it says you are nominated for this award uh-huh. and we will announce it on Friday. Uh-huh. Well, you know, Friday came around, we we're or Saturday, we were packing up to leave. I went over to this to the magazine's table, which was Midwest Review, by the way, and I said, So, did you pick we're getting going out the door, did you pick the winner? And they said, Well, who are you? I'm said Scott Douglas from Main Street Rag and she said uh, and she started asking me questions and she says, Well, you won. <laughs> like, wow. And, you know, and, and, and I thought, and, and then they handed me this, this wheat stock that somebody had taken and spray painted gold. And they, and, and, and there was a, you know, and they made, they made this nice little frameable, uh, 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 award. And, and, you know, it's like, and then, you know, we, we went and used that announce, I announced it to my friends and all that. And they're all like, oh, wow. And it's like, I had never heard for the, of this before. And, and, and if they actually saw the wheat stock that they handed me, I mean, it was really cool. It was really cool. But I mean, it, it, it's also, it's just, you know, it's, it's recognition. And there were probably uh-huh. maybe 20 people voted on it. I don't know. I don't know how they, they selected this. Uh-huh. Uh, I may have been, I may have won because we were the only people that walked over to find out who won. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's lovely. So is this wheat stock still with you or did you hand, have to hand it off to the next winner? <laughs> uh, no, I still have it. Uh, the, the next uh, conference isn't for three weeks uh, and I'm not taking it with me because it may get damaged. <laughs> Very fragile, the golden wheat stock, you know. Well, this is so much fun, and we've talked so much about your poetry. You've shared several poems. Do you need to say anything more about your publishing, or you want to just say, ah, people already know that stuff? <laughs> Go to the website. All right. We say everything right. there. Go to the website. Right. It's got everything there. Main Street Rag Publishing Company website. Go there. Check it out. And People can hear you. You're going to be part of a publisher presentation at the Kansas City Throwdown, is that right? Correct. Are you also going to be reading some of your poetry? I will be. Yay, so you get to do both. That'll be really wonderful. 
So that's coming up April 21st through 23rd in Kansas City. And people can find out more about the throwdown and the, the performance of the throwdown both on Facebook at Kansas City Poetry Throwdown or at Spartan Press, uh, which has a page for the throwdown and has photos and some bios of some of the featured performers. And, and I think what I understood from Jameson Bales is that the publisher workshop, I believe, will be at the Writer's Place in Kansas City. That's what I understand, yes. Great opportunity for people to hear from that perspective. And, and you know, it's it's interesting because, again, I think about people I know who are small press people who are writers. Denise Lowe, who I mentioned, who's a former poet laureate of Kansas. Um, she and her husband, Tom Liso, who's also a painter and writer, um, they have Mammoth Publications based here in Lawrence, Kansas. Denise's work is published by other people for the most part, um, but she is well known both as a poet and publisher, you know, and, and Wolfgang Karstens, who I mentioned with Epic Rights Press, um, just amazing, powerful, life-affirming, in-your-face, short poetry and Epic Rights Press with a whole slew of poets who he publishes. Um, it's really, it's really wonderful stuff. And I, and I imagine that those of you who have both roles are particularly talented in, in who, you know, finding good work to publish. And it finds, I'll tell you what, it finds me. Okay. You know, I I don't have to, I don't have to work real hard. You know, Uh uh, I have friends all over the country who, you know, if they find a poet that they think I would like, they send it to me. Uh-huh. Uh, they send them my way. Uh, so I get, we get a lot of referrals, get uh-huh. a lot of referrals from poets uh, who, who we have published, which makes me feel very good because that means if you, if you had a bad experience with a publisher, you're not going to send your friend there. Right. right. <laughs> so. Yeah, very good. So we want people to be at the Throwdown. We want people to particularly hear you and Scott Douglas we want people to be aware that they can learn some things about that publishing part. They can make some great connections. You know, there's just lots to happen. And for me, it's also it's like this all parallels the rest of our lives. We need to, to listen. We need to learn from people. We need to connect with people. We need to share things that are, that are good. We need to do things that are good. Um, there can't be enough kindness and goodness and reaching out to create belonging for all people. There can't be enough of that um, in the times that we're in. And art is one of those things that brings people together. Written art, you know, whether it's written as, you know, different genres or painting or sculpture or performances, you know, dance, all kinds of things. Um, we, we need this. Art will sustain us. We have a lot that we need help with in the next four years in particular. So, I'm Scott Douglas. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been well. Thank you for having me. Uh, This was a minute. This has been a lot of fun. So uh, uh, thank you for having me, listeners. I hope you enjoyed it at least as much as we did. Maybe more, maybe less, but enjoy it because this was a great hour. Thanks, and so long to our listeners.